Welcome to the Maris Review, brought to you by LitHub Radio. Um, I am so delighted to be here on the Maris Review with Ryan Chapman, who is my friend and was my colleague and is now the author of Riots I Have Known, uh, a new novel out from Simon & Schuster. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Hi, Maris. Hi, Ryan. Ryan... There is a Jonathan Lethem blurb for your book in which he compares you to Lenny Bruce meets Dostoevsky. And then on Amazon, the Amazon review uh, issued by the company um, compares you to Proust and Knausgaard. How do you respond? (laughs) Um, Good question. I think that... You know, we know each other from both of us having worked in various guises in book publishing for years. Yes. And so you both know how many good writers there are out there. And then how many books you really like don't get the uh, attention you feel like they deserve. And that meant that when I worked on a novel, I set my expectations very low. So it's been really difficult, to be honest, to to, uh, take in good news um, because... (laughs) When there is a review like Amazon's or some of the others, my first thought is to read, to scan it quickly for like the word fraud or <laughs> like like this a-hole. And then when it doesn't have those words, I then go back and read it. And I honestly don't know how to take in uh, good news. To be in the same uh, breath as some of these people is like pretty amazing. And I don't know. I, I do think that like in a year when like the... Ego swelling has reached like like maximum levels and like my wife has divorced me and friends don't want to talk to me and I have like a really expensive cigar habit that like ruins all my clothes. Like then I'll have a good answer. But right now it's it's very um yeah, it, it's a lot of yeah, feelings of gratefulness. Good. Yeah. Do you do you wanna just um tell the audience the very basics about the plot of the book? Sure. The book is written in the form of an editor's letter. That is also confession by a prisoner who edits the prison newsletter. And the reason he is writing this book-length editor's letter is that he has accidentally set off a large-scale riot um, in the very correctional facility in which he is incarcerated. And he has barricaded himself in the computer lab and is live blogging. Will and Edith Rosenberg... Media Center for Journalistic Excellence in the Penal Arts. Exactly. Yeah. It rolls off the tongue. <laughs> yes, it sure does. And he is uh, furiously confessing his life story, which he believes is is one of great accomplishments and adventure, and is trying to write a very insincere mea culpa that he thinks that the riot isn't his fault, the his many enemies coming to kill him uh, are mistaken, <laughs> and that History will remember him as the greatest prison newsletter editor of all time. Newsletter editor. Yeah. Okay. Ryan, how the hell did you do this? You wrote a great satire. Thank you. Of of so much of the just nitpicky garbage that we went through in publishing marketing <laughs> meetings. How? Well, well, like spleen is a like great motivator for writing, um, <laughs> and I think it's it's therapeutic for anyone who who comes home and like looks at the liquor shelf. It's like 
another way to to process is is create a like sociopathic narrator uh, through whom you can process feelings and and make jokes. A part of it came about that I I think like a lot of English majors and and people who want to write had that you know autobiographical earnest book. Yes. And, and mine was I think it was like about a person who has a study abroad semester in France and Greece and and uh-huh. and. I, the way that it's best described is it was a like crap version of leaving the Atocha station. <laughs> and like years later when I read that, I was like, oh, this is how a smarter person would make, would write that book. Sure. And I had, um, I think when I was in my mid twenties, I had a, an editor, a friend whose taste I respected, take a look at it. And he was very gentle and Aww. said like, you know, you, you, you can write, mm-hmm. you can't write this. Like right. he was like, find your cause. Don't write just because you feel like, you know, putting sentences on the page is the the end of it. Because I think the from working in publishing, you know, we we saw too often that there's the the art side of it, um, which is kind of the reason that we all get Do excited it? about it. Yeah. yeah. And then there's the other side of it where you're like, it's it's not just that you're asking your friends to read it. You're hoping that strangers will like depart with their hard-earned money mm-hmm. and like read your book over you know the best thing on netflix that night or the great new yorker piece that just came out right. like it's it's that's the marketplace aspect mm-hmm. and when it came to the second book i kind of had in mind like it'd be fun to write something that was hopefully funny to keep people engaged short so that i, I definitely don't have like a 500 page book in me but um, it's i mean it's the densest short book yeah uh, <laughs> and I don't mean that in a I, I mean that as a compliment like you have to pay attention line after line there's joke 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 plot yeah yeah um I, yeah and I don't know I mean there were certainly writers who I really admire who have that kind of density um yes and want to name some of them well yeah yeah I think there were there were a few titles that I returned to a lot that were kind of like load stars. Uh, one was certainly Martin Amos's Money. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, second was, <laughs> it definitely has like the worst title, but The Sugar Frosted Nutsack yep. by Mark Lehner. And, uh, well, I guess it would, two others. Um, Thomas Bernhardt's The Loser. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Czech writer Bohemil Hrabal, his book, uh, uh, Too Loud a Solitude. You know, these were all books that, you know, had like, like, maniacal storytelling mm-hmm. at like the sentence level at their heart and all of them have structures that are very innovative but i think if you knew what you were getting into going in you wouldn't want to like take the ride unless there was that that voice that kind of hypnotized you i i am you know, i read this book and i've been your friend for a long time now and um the voice of of the main character mf is um not someone I was familiar with at all. Yeah, I I had like a friend read it, and then he there was like a long pause when he was like, like, like I I think you're a nice guy, and I was like, well, yeah, like you know, <laughs> like uh, I think it was great fun to work on, and, and then a lot of my interests as a reader and writer were in like very transgressive voices and material and satirical elements, and I think I knew that. There might be a discrepancy between how I am in real life yeah. and the book I was writing, and it just helped to like never think about it. Like I honestly was like, "Well, 
when it's done, I'll think about it then. And then now that it's done, I kind of refuse to think about it. And I'm, I'm kind of like, I hope if like friends are really, well, you, you'll be honest with me, but some other friends, I'm like, if they're like offended or insulted, I just hope they'll never tell me. I imagine like there are former coworkers of yours thinking like, was he sitting in that meeting? Just <laughs> Thankfully in publishing, as we learned from the Dan Mallory case, like yes. people are too nice to ever call people on their bullshit. Um, no, I mean, the, the neither nice thing is to be, to be serious about it, though, that the, the great benefit of having worked at places like First Session Giroux and, and the Penguin Press um, is all my colleagues were so brilliant. And, and, I, and they, uh, uh, I think, w- would certainly understand the, right. the fictive distance between uh, <laughs> uh, uh, me and the satire. Yes. Um, I, I was saying to you earlier that I wanted to go through just a couple of cultural references in your okay. book because it's, again, you say you want to write a short book, but there are so many. If I mean, if I were to list them all, we'd be here for days. Um, but here are a few of my favorites. Um, there is a Kickstarter going to print and publish um, the Holding Pen blog. Mm-hmm. Um, in luxe leather-bound editions. Of course. I mean, I, you know, without getting too much into it, I did have an inside look through a friend, <laughs> like a really smart, great friend, yeah. into uh, uh, Kickstarter's publishing efforts. And so that was a natural. Um, uh, I guess that's all, we, that's all we should say about that. Sure. Yeah. Um, I love, and you won't know this about me, but um, I love that the English language books discarded by American tourists in Sri Lanka include Nora Roberts, Patrick O'Brien, and Jack Welch. Mm-hmm. The trifecta. The trifecta of, I mean, the first two, kind of great. Yeah. The third, an evil, evil monster. Yeah. I mean, Jack Welch, like, uh, he's, I, I feel he's like. He's dead. It's guy. Okay, good. Um. <laughs> But you know he's he's still considered this like management leadership guru and his Indeed. his um he like didn't he like create the format of the businessman wants to uh, boost his reputation by writing a, a trade memoir like how I did it and and so here's a, a funny fact about that my yeah. very first job out of college I was the assistant to a literary agent who represented him. Mm-hmm. for that big, big memoir. At the time, it was the most money ever paid to an author for a nonfiction book Wow! Um, for U.S. rights. And it's like, of course, Jack Welch, the head of GE, he needed that money. Yep. Um, Got to buy another boathouse in, in, I don't know, Thailand, I guess. Yeah. And then, and then the pub date for that book, the publication date, was 9-11-2001. Oh, and so the, the the environment in the office was very much like this this thing is ruining this book launch that we're all so worried about. Yeah, yeah. Which is very cool. Yeah, I think the the I like the idea of someone who like knew nothing about uh, uh, American culture. Yeah. Or or was a non traditional reader coming across someone like Jack Welch and then just misreading him entirely 
and being like, well, this is the template for how one, you know, gets ahead in life. Certainly. And I mean, I don't think our politics today disprove that at all. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the, I was talking with um, the the writer Mark Doten uh, last week. Yeah. And we were saying, you know, the difficult thing now about any type of writing uh, satirically or writing about the culture is you have to like uh, uh, add an element of perversity and then extrapolate two years and then hope your book comes out within those two <laughs> yes. years so then it feels like the present. I mean, he and Mark wrote a book called Trump Sky Alpha. Yeah, which is great. It's great. It's and so it's good. And it's harrowing. I mean, first word in that novel title, you, you understand what you're getting into. Yeah. But, um, yeah. That takes guts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That book is so good. Uh, the the final reference that I wanted to, to get in here, because I love it, is MF, of course, says that when you're new to prison, there are a couple of things that you need. <laughs> yeah, I know where this is going. <laughs> to help guide you through the life. And, of course, there is a BuzzFeed explainer, 17 tips, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what is it? How to protect your rep in prison or yeah yeah how to get by like that must exist like that's that's something that (laughs) when i was writing it a few years ago i was like this is funny and now it's like of course that exists somewhere yeah um yeah the the um it can be it's i think one of the the joys of writing the book was certainly in in coming up with the concept pretty early on and and it was just um from partially working in publishing and and on the one hand being exposed to so many great novels just as part of your job but the sec- the uh, same time you know you'd have a you'd wake up at like two in the morning with like that light bulb going off and then think like well that's the next project and then you go to work a couple of days later and then <laughs> the, the launch meeting would be someone doing a much better job of that same idea and so uh, uh part of the the concept came about of just what's like the 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 idea, the voice, the the setting, and the approach that like no one else could possibly do in the time it takes me to write this, and since I was writing it uh, w- while uh, maintaining it nine to five, it had to go slowly. So, yeah, once I had kind of chanced upon that concept, it was like really great to look at the culture and see which parts kind of fell into that. And, right. you know, uh, BuzzFeed is low-hanging fruit for satire. Yes. Uh, you know, done with affection, but... Uh, yes. Anyone who's watched Veep this season knows that. Oh, I just finished it. Oh, man. Let's not spoil yeah. anything. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I have feelings. Um, <laughs> and, and so the other thing that is you but not you is that you're main character is Sri Lankan. Yeah, yeah. And um, at one point he says Sri Lanka is the youngest ancient country on earth. Yeah. Tell um, me what that means. Because well, I, I feel like that's coming from you and not him. Yeah, it very much is. Um, I, uh, you know, my, my father uh, and, and his family grew up in Sri Lanka and they came to the States in the 70s and, and that's always been uh, certainly a part of our lives. But really, not not a large part until we were kind of uh, uh, adults, um, and took more frequent trips back to the island. And Sri Lanka is such a unique um, nation, and not too dissimilar from the United States in certain ways. In that, um, 
there's a lot of uh, uh, religious and ethnic plurality. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, you know, um, the, the Easter attacks have shown how uh, it is a country that worked uh, extraordinarily hard to, to heal after its civil war ended in '09, and and um, unfortunately, those that that uh, uh, you know riven population is. Uh, still at odds, um, to put it uh, inarticulately and mildly. Um, but I think by by virtue of the fact that Sri Lanka had been colonialized by several different European yes. powers, had um, not only um, um, been something of, of a, a toddler when it came to post-colonial independence, mm-hmm. um, you know, th- they achieved independence the, the same time as India, um, but because of the um, changes in power and, and and the lack of of any kind of uh, homogenous um, religious uh, ethnic or or even like uh, cultural group, um, it's just like a fascinating country. And I and I um, kept approaching it as I got older, wondering why it didn't have kind of a, a, a unified. Um, arts scene or, right. or unified um, um, industrial um, sector the way that a lot of other countries of the same size mm-hmm. ha- have um, but um, this fascinating amazing place and and you know the, the recent violence aside um, it is it is a uh, island that we went to several times in the past um, yeah. 20 years and had great time, you know, and, and even, you know, there was a point where my wife and I considered, like, let's go back there yeah. for, like, six months and and, and just try and, like, uh, uh, you know, see more of the family. I'm, I just yeah. want to break in here and say, mm-hmm. yeah, I have I've already asked you about this, but mm-hmm. for the listeners, none of your family was affected by the Easter attacks. Yeah, we're really, really lucky. Um, the, the Easter attacks occurred in several of the sites that my family would have been in on Easter or have been places that we regularly visit when we go there or my dad visits. And so we were uh, quite uh, shaken by it. And, and thankfully, everybody's okay. Ugh. Yeah. Um, and, and Sri Lanka was also really fascinating from a, if, as a writer, you know, from a literary perspective, because it is a country that growing up the only... Um, cultural export uh, we had was Michael Ondaatje, who's huh. incredible. And, um, but, yeah. you know, it's, you know, his most famous book was the, one of his least Sri Lankan narratives, right, you know, The right, English right. Patient. Um, and he's lived in Toronto for a number of decades. And now it's nice because I, I think that there's a, a, a lot of uh, young um, Sri Lankan writers coming up and um, older Sri Lankan writers. Can you name a couple? Well, I mean... Not just name. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Just endorse, I mean. Sure, I mean... um, Just name a few if you really know. (laughs) Yeah. um, Sunil Yapa is um, Sinhalese American as well, and and his book, uh, Your Heart is a Muscle the Size of a Fist, was published a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, Ruth Freeman is another Mm -hmm. um, really talented uh, Sri Lankan writer. Um, And they're... um, there was an anthology of emerging Sri Lankan writing that was put out by Penguin UK that hasn't been published in the US that I picked up um, in Colombo a couple years ago. And I can like see the cover in my mind, but I cannot think of it. We can look it up for sure. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, well, it'll be in the show notes. Yes. And it ended up being this great compendium, a much needed compendium of like, well, here are all the people who are working. Um, you know, and there's a large diaspora culture. So th- there's mm-hmm. a lot of uh, uh, Sri Lankan writers living in the UK and Australia right. and um, India and Canada. Um, and it's it's uh, it's great because it is a country that can can support like dozens and dozens of different lenses. Hmm. I love that. Um, let's talk about prison for uh, sure. a moment. How did you get inside the idea of being in this prison? Oh, uh, I know. I know. Good was question. It all, was it all TV? <laughs> no. Uh, well, um, it actually, that happened kind of backwards where uh, my roommate um, in, in, when I started the book, I was talking about my roommate. He was in Juilliard for playwriting, and then he went off to go work on Orange is the New Black. And there was like a small (gasps) subplot in season two or three where like uh, Piper works on the um, prison newsletter. And I was like, oh, Nick, you stole my idea. But he didn't steal it. It was was given. It was in the universe. Um, But uh, um, the idea came about as um, really, you know, I I was a straight male living in Park Slope and Gowanus, Brooklyn, and I knew the world didn't need more books about that experience or that setting. Mm-hmm. And when I thought about writing something that would be have, be more voice-driven and be more transgressive, and uh, certainly my hope was that something that would be uh, hopefully a book that was like like five or ten percent beyond my talent level when I started, and then just through like hitting my head against the wall like going down wrong avenues after a few years i'd like figure it out and so writing something that i didn't have the um direct autobiographical experience with but was an environment that was very fascinating and and one that readers didn't come across very often kind of pointed towards uh the prison and then i also liked it it was really um you know i knew that there would be uh great there's there already has been um great writing on prisons and, and a lot of it in um by by journalists and and formerly incarcerated uh people but i think for my approach i wanted the satirical pitch to be just a few percent off reality and yes. and and so i thought like i didn't want anyone coming to it thinking they were getting real life a real life yeah exactly but you do kind of get into the privatization of prisons mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in a way that, um, gosh, I wouldn't want to call it fun. <laughs> right, right. Um, and that was part of the, the challenges. Well, you know, it can be um, kind of Veep kind of talks about this too a little bit is like, how dark can you make your comedy mm-hmm. given your subject matter? Mm-hmm. And it was um, fun to explore that and it was a challenge to see like how close can you go towards something maybe being uh over the line and then kind of like coming back a little bit yeah um but it's that's one of the great things about fiction and and i think the first person voice is unlike a film or or uh, a painting or music like people will kind of go with you into like incredibly transgressive and dark places and then the laugh at things that they would never laugh at, like if they were told that, you know, the same story at a dinner table. Sure. That's the hope, at least. Um, do you have an, are there any other books that strike you that way you want to mention? Um, 
no pressure either. Like, yeah. I, well, you know, it's been a long time since I read it, but I definitely had that teenage reading of Train Spotting. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, I get that. And, like, you know, the movie's also great, but the book is, like, long. And it mm-hmm. is, like, it is it is full of degradation. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it gets so terrible that the, the, the Irvin Welsh just kind of demands that you laugh at it because there's no other way to look that that directly at at that material without um throwing it across the room um yeah uh train spotting um what else that's a good question i guess going back to mark laner you know he Mm -hmm. he routinely um writes he i really admire how he can kind of fold in a lot of the culture and do so with with this agreement with the reader that we're going you know we're going to um, kind of be indiscriminate in what we're talking about, and uh, it's all going to be done in the service of this literary project. And so he'll fold in um, a lot of sacred cows, uh, and because you know, just he can pull it off by virtue of of the work he's put in and his talent. Yeah. Um, and so again, that novel, The Sugar Frosted Nutsack. If there were like a Pulitzer for comedy, he would have. He would have won. And again, it has a title that's tough for a lot of people, <laughs> but it is just pure brilliance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe we should end this episode by talking about what you're listening to, because uh, I know that's very important to you. Music. Sure. Um, oh, man. I feel like I've become an old man in the last like mm-hmm. year or two. Uh, I never know like good new stuff. It doesn't I mean, have to be new. Okay, good. I mean, I do like Billie Eilish, and like, I was yeah. that was like definitely a, a recent musician that I was excited that was like extremely popular that I also liked. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is like, this is like dark stuff. Like the teenagers are getting into their yeah, like Trent Reznor phase. We get what the teenagers are yeah. doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, lately, I've been like re-listening to Magnetic Field '69 Love Songs because that's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Um, I don't know. What have you been listening to? I have I have a Spotify playlist called Songs I do- Downloaded from MP3 Blogs mm-hmm. in the Early Aughts. Oh, I need this playlist. So yeah, I will put it in the show notes too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's really taken me back to 2004. Yeah, that was like a magical time. It really was. That's the tough thing is I have to, I have to just have to accept that, that stretch we're like, I still have some of the future heads, the strokes. <laughs> and the Rakes were this like British band. Oh, yeah, I remember the Rakes. Yeah, they're still good. I mean, I think they broke up, and I think the singer now does IT, but um, <laughs> but uh, they, they had some bangers. Sure did. Yeah. Ryan, yeah. thank you for coming on the Maris Review. Thank you for having me, Maris. This was great. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review, and check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.